Hey, what's up, everybody? Greatest show on dirt, recording from the world famous Sweet Bee Studios. This is December 2nd. We are officially at the Christmas season, man, and I'm so excited. To me, there's not a better time of year than what than Christmas, man. Christmas is the best, dude. You get gifts, you get to eat whatever food you want, and it doesn't really matter. Like for me, I eat breakfast for every meal during the holidays, and that's okay, right? So what if I want to have biscuits and gravy for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Guess what? It's the Christmas season. Open up your heart and open up your belt buckle a little bit because your waist is going to expand. But with the love and the joy of the holiday season, you know, if we're expanding our love, why not expand our waistline? Why not expand our appetite? And these are the things that the holidays are about, you know, whether it's enjoying meals with your family or, you know, shoveling biscuits and gravy in your face by yourself in your kitchen at 11 p.m., right? That's, I think, one of the beauties of the holiday season, man, is you can be who you truly want to be, you know? But there are a lot of things about the holiday season that are kind of up in the air, you know? Like for, for example, like I myself, I'm more of a classic holidays guy, you know? A lot of, a lot of new age Christmas stuff, you know, I don't really get into, um, which is why before I even talk baseball, um, I've got some notes on Christmas, some Christmas notes, if you will, that I would like to go over and that I would like to cover with everybody. These are mandatories during the holiday season. These are rules that you should abide by. You know, there are certain things in, in life, you know, certain laws that we need to follow, and there are Christmas laws. So bringing about the notes on Christmas, one of the first things I want to tackle is lighting during the holiday season. There's a lot of debate on Christmas lights right? Whether the, they should be the small lights or the big lights or clear lights or colored lights. And I'm here to tell you this right now. C9 bulbs are the best. They're best when they have colors on them. And there's no other Christmas bulb that should ever be accepted to celebrate our risen Savior, Jesus Christ, right? Why would I buy little tiny clear Christmas lights to celebrate the risen Savior and the biggest holiday of the season. Like, what? what is this, man? What is this, a beer garden? Like, what am I going to do, right? Put clear lights outside my house, little tiny clear lights, right? Make it look like a beer garden. What do you want? You want a Mick Ultra from the bar because you just finished your CrossFit class? No, this isn't a beer garden. This is Christmas. No clear lights. This isn't the 4th of July. I'm not having guests over for a barbecue. What about Christmas says clear lights? Nothing. Let me ask you this. Quick question. What color is Santa Claus's uniform? It's red. It's not solid white, right? I don't get it. What color? Uh-uh. What color is Rudolph's nose? <laughs> it's red. Holy shit. This is, I mean, I'm not making this stuff up, man. These are facts. Christmas is all about the colors, right? What color is your Christmas tree in your front, in your front room? What color is that tree? Would green be the correct answer? Oh, yes, it would. So why in the world would I put clear lights up? It makes no sense, pal. It makes no sense. Jesus is a pretty big deal in getting gifts in Santa Claus. Like Santa Claus is a pretty big deal, too. It's got to be the big bulbs, man. The big, big bulbs, right? If, if you're decorating your house for Christmas and you're not running up your electric bill to global warming-esque heights, 
You know, like if you're not killing a polar bear and melting some ice caps, what the hell are you doing, man? Like, you come on, come on. Get, listen, we got coal miners all across the nation that need to be put to work. Run up your electric bill, right? Get a suntan because your lights outside are so stinking bright, dude. It's great. It's great, you know? I remember being a kid and decorating our house so bright for Christmas. And cars, they would drive by so slow just to stare at the lights because they were in a Christmas wonderland. And it was great, you know? But it was also a little nerve-wracking, too, because I grew up in the hood, and a lot of times when people drove by your house real slow, they would probably be looking to steal the CD player out of the inside of your vehicle, which is why I always had to take the faceplate off of my JVC head unit. So it's okay when people drive slow by the house. Just make sure your cars are locked. You know, if, if you're from, you know, where I'm from in Illinois, it's just what it is. But, you know, small lights, you know, I'll say this. If you want to put small lights up, in your house, have you ever heard of the resurrection? Right, that was a big deal. Died on Friday, came back to life on Sunday. That's a big deal. I think big lights, I think big lights say it the best. Now, any sort of solid color lights, if you want to put sol- a strand of solid blue lights with a strand of solid red lights, I'll say no to that as well. This isn't the 4th of July. Celebrate the 4th of July. I love the 4th of July, but this is December 25th. This is Christmas. This isn't the 4th of July, okay? Now, once once you've decorated your house with C9 bulbs, the biggest you can get, don't buy LED bulbs. Those are energy savers. We're not about saving energy. This is America, right? Let's melt those ice caps. Let's celebrate the Savior. Let's celebrate Santa Claus. Let's get some gifts, okay? Once you've got the biggest bulbs you can find, the real power suckers, right? You're going to have to put decorations in the yard, right? You're going to need decorations. You're going to need Santa Claus. You're going to need a couple Noel candles. You're going to need a Frosty the Snowman, right? The blow-up Santa Clauses, the blow-up yard decorations, hard pass. I I don't know what that is, man. What is it, a hot air balloon? Is it, um, you know, one of those blow-up things outside of the buy-here-pay-here car lots where you go when you have really bad credit? No, Santa Claus doesn't want you to buy a car, and Santa Claus really doesn't care about your credit score, right? Santa Claus does not need to deflate and lay dead in your front lawn on Tuesday when it's raining. That looks like white trash, and if you've heeded my previous advice, you know that we're decorating an exquisite, luxurious house that says, do you have any gray poupon? You might see it on the lifestyles of the rich and famous. I'm just telling you, the way we're decorating, it's it's high fashion. It's a pretty big deal. It's very exquisite. It's very prim and proper, and it's 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 very beautiful, right? It's the Mona Lisa of Christmas. So, we, we don't want the blow-up decorations. What you need to get is you can go to the True Value website, Ace, or excuse me, you can go to the Ace Hardware website and get you the plastic blow-mold Santa Clauses and Frosty the Snowman and a nativity scene and the Noel candles. Put those in your front yard. Keep it classy, my friends, because when you get the plastic Santa Claus, he lights up beautifully in the night just with one C9 bulb on the inside of it. And what happens in the morning? He stands erect, ready to celebrate and bring gifts. He's ready to get in his sleigh any time of day. He's not sleeping in the front yard. He's not getting peed on by the neighbor dog. He, he's standing tall. He's erect, and he's ready to deliver. That's what you got to do, man. We're all on the plastic Santa Claus, guys. 
This is what the things are about, okay? Now, we, you know how to decorate your house, so you're welcome. You know, the advice I've given you is not going to cost you any money. This podcast is actually free to listen to. And if you've heard the podcast, you know that I send people free stickers all the time. This is free advice. The doctor's always in. And guess what? He's pro bono, okay? I love you guys. So be good. We're going to talk about music now, all right? There's a lot of Christmas music that goes around. And there is a lot of new age Dare I say sacrilegious Christmas music. Um, Mariah Carey, All I Want for Christmas is You, to shut up and stop singing. If I hear Mariah Carey sing, All I Want for Christmas is You, I'm going to stick a corkscrew in my head and give myself a lobotomy so I forget the song. No Michael Bublé, no Mariah Carey. They can just Mortal Kombat this thing out right? Fatality each other. One can rip the other's heart out while the other's ripping the head off. No Michael Buble, no Mariah Carey, no pop star Christmas. If you're having a Christmas party and you want to impress your guest and really put yourself in the Christmas spirit and celebrate Santa Claus and Jesus, here's what you need. You need Bing Crosby. You need Frankie Sinatra. You need Burl Ives and Perry Como and Nat King Cole, my friends. If your Christmas music was produced like after the 70s, we've got problems. Everyone that I just named is how you need to celebrate Christmas. Any other music is completely unacceptable. I won't have it in my house. I absolutely will not. You come in my house with your mixtape, with your burn CD, with Michael Buble on it, or maybe Ariana Grande singing Jingle Bells. Guess what, pal? See the door, okay? And if you brought any food, uh, well, you have to leave it because we're eating it. So, bye-bye, right? It's not going to happen. This is my music. This is my house. This is it, you know? Yeah, this is, that's what I'm talking about. And Michael Buble, come on now. Why does Michael Buble have an apostrophe in his name? Don't try to church it up, buddy. You know, don't try to church it up, Michael Buble. Listen, you want to know Michael Buble? Hey, Michael Buble. You want to know what a good Christmas song is? Grandma got ran over by a reindeer. Yeah, Put that in your buble and smoke it. Right? You understand? Like, dude, that's what it's about, man. That's what it's about, dude. Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer might be my all-time favorite Christmas song. It's hard to say. I can tell you this. It's a top 10. And if you haven't heard it, go to your Spotify account or go to YouTube. Search Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. You're welcome. Free advice, right? That's what I'm talking about, you know? And um, anything else, you know? Like, I've tried to listen to, you know, like, Michael Buble, right? And you know my, you know what happened when I tried to listen to Michael Buble? My heart shrunk. It did the opposite of what the Grinches did at the end of How the Grinch Stole Christmas. My heart actually shrunk four sizes, and now we've got problems, right? Things aren't going too good for me. And so that's why I've put a moratorium in my household on anything that's not Nat King Cole or Perry Como. Frank Sinatra can be listened to year-round. And when he sings the Christmas blues, uh, ever heard of the Rat Pack? That's good music, man. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Now, food. Right? I've talked about food. During the holiday season, now for me, the holiday season started November 1st, but I understand not everyone is about that life as I am. I'm a big Christmas guy. And for me, you know, I decorated with lights, big C9 bulbs, C9 bulbs that are so big and bright and hot. I'm sweating right now as I'm recording this podcast because the lights are shining down on me. That's what I did. But it's, it's okay and perfectly acceptable to eat breakfast for every meal. You know, you can drink hot cocoa three, four, five, six times a day. You can make s'mores. 
And I'm going to tell you this right now. This, now this is some E equals MC squared shit. What I'm about to tell you, the apple falling on Isaac Newton's head. What I'm about to drop on you is bigger than any baseball free agent news you could possibly wrap your head around. Make a s'more. Now, you might say, Quentin, I want some s'mores, but um, I don't have a fire outside. Maybe it's raining outside. Maybe it's snowing outside and you're just cold. You're sitting in your house. You're watching a Hallmark movie and you're just like, man, I really want a s'more. What do I do? Get you two graham crackers. Get a marshmallow. Get your paper plate. It has to be a paper plate because right, I'm a big science guy, right? So if it's not a paper plate, that plate's going to absorb some of the heat, even if it says it's microwave safe. So get a paper plate. You understand? Take that paper plate, put, um, you know, when you have a graham cracker, it's like a long rectangle and it snaps in half. So take half that graham, then put half your, then put your chocolate on, however much chocolate you want, and then put a marshmallow on there, put it in the microwave and start the microwave, put it on 20 seconds. But you have to keep an eye on it because we're cooking filet mignon here, right? This isn't a burger that you cook on the grill. When you cook a filet on the grill, you've got an eye on it constantly. And that's what a s'more is. You understand? A s'more is like a filet mignon. And what you do with the filet mignon is you always keep your eye on it and you flip it off. And so when you put this s'more in the microwave, you hit start. And when that marshmallow bubbles up and looks like it's about to fall off the gram, stop the microwave. Pull it out immediately. That's what she said. But pull it out immediately and then take the other half of your gram and crush it. And that heat that the microwave has generated and delivered the love to the marshmallow, it's, it's, it's heated up the marshmallow and the chocolate. When you mush it down, you can take a bite out of it immediately. And that chocolate, oh, it's the perfect consistency. If it's like a little hard, but it's like kind of melted and it is delicious. It'll be the best s'more you've ever had in your life. And you can eat those anytime you want during the holidays. So the microwave s'more, it's one of my favorite, one of my all-time favorite Christmas recipes. Um, when you need to drink something, Maker's Mark. I like to drink Maker's Mark during the holidays. I like the label of Maker's Mark, it's an off yellow. It looks very festive with the melted wax on the cap. Maker's Mark is the perfect way to go. You know, it is a whiskey, so it'll get you drunk, which is a good thing, you know, when you have to go, you know, to your family's house during the holidays, you know, and you can also pair your Maker's Mark with a Xanax and just get ready for the family fights, which, you know, happened in my family, you know, they've happened before, there have been fights. At my house on Christmas, the big mouth Billy Bass has fallen off the wall. Accusations have been made and glass, sliding glass doors have been shot out. So, you know, pair your Maker's Mark with the Xanax, maybe an edible marijuana. Do whatever you need to do with it or just drink the Maker's Mark. Actually, what's really good, too, is you can make the, mix the Maker's Mark whiskey with ginger ale because Babe Ruth, every morning when he woke up, he had a whiskey and ginger. Um... How many home runs did Babe Ruth hit again? Yeah, 715. So we're pretty sure he knew what he was doing. So you're welcome on that one. And, you know, those are all pretty good things as far as kind of, you know, what I really like about Christmas, you know. And the last thing we have to talk about when it comes to the Christmas season is Christmas movies. And there, there's a lot of debate over Christmas movies. I've watched a lot of Christmas movies. I've probably watched every Christmas movie imaginable. Now, I'm going to tell you this when it comes to Christmas movies, right? Now, now take this to heart. Heed my advice. The words that I say, grab them with your hands in the air and insert them into your heart, and your heart will grow, just like the Grinches did. There are two types of people in the world, those who believe in the miracle of Jesus, Santa Claus, 
and that Die Hard is a Christmas movie, and then there are heathens that believe in none of the above. End of the debate. Die Hard is a Christmas movie. End of story. End of story. If you don't think it is, get out of here. Can't hit unsubscribe on my podcast because Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Not only is it a Christmas movie, but it is a top five Christmas movie. You can't beat it. You just can't, you know? Like, this is the thing, right? You understand? Like, it's a wonderful life or like a Christmas story. Um, But think more of It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life has one of the greatest endings to any Christmas movie that's ever, ever been filmed and shot and watched, right? I mean, God, I love the ending of A Wonderful Life. I'll cry, dude. And if you have a problem with it, fight me, right? It's what it is. But I'll tell you what, until Hans Gruber falls from the Nakatomi Tower, right? It's not Christmas yet. And when I watch that ending... I get all warm and fuzzy on the inside. And that, my friend, is how I know it's Christmas when Hans Gruber takes the fall from, yes, the Nakatomi Tower. It's, it's the greatest thing right there. And, you know, Bruce Willis is amazing in the movie. You know, he makes smoking a cigarette look so cool. He, he's walking barefoot, which is a testament to the angel tree outside your office. Give a kid a pair of shoes so they don't end up like Bruce Willis, John McClane. It's great. Yippee-ki-yay, mother trucker. I, I kind of can't say mother effer, I don't think, because people will be listening to this that probably don't want me to drop a hardcore F-bomb. But, you know, I just envision many, many Christmas scenes, whether it's Charlie Brown getting advice from Peppermint Patty, whether it's Ralphie shooting his eye out. But when Bruce Willis is going through the ventilation systems of the Nakatomi Tower, and he just says... Come on out to the coast. We'll get together. Have a few laughs. Now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. Those, to me, those are Christmas movie quotes that make me feel good on the inside. It makes me want to love those around me, give gifts to people, and really embrace the spirit of Christmas and everything that it's about. So Die Hard's a Christmas movie, and it's a great movie. It's, um, it's a top five. I'm not saying it's the best one, but I'll tell you this right now, what some of my favorite Christmas movies are, and you've got to look at this, Christmas Vacation is one of the, is, might be the best Christmas movie ever, National Lampoon's Chevy Chase, and I'll tell you this, I like it so much because it's like real life. You've got, you know, what's Christmas Vacation like, right? You've got like some weird family members that come over, like Grandpa can't really hear, he's got a toupee, everyone's just like a little kooky and crazy, there's a huge fire, and the Christmas tree gets torched, which I've lit a Christmas tree on fire on Christmas Day, it is a blast, and they really go up in flames fast, so do it away from the house if you really want to have a good time with it. Um, I think there's a little bit of fighting in it. There's like a dog that like wrecks the table because like you've got like these crazy like cousins that like bring over their dog that slobbers a lot. Like Cousin Eddie, everyone has an uncle or a cousin like Cousin Eddie who's like super inappropriate. When he talks to you, he gets really close to you. And you just got all these kooky people on the inside, man. Like what are they doing? What are they thinking? We don't really know what's in the box. It's for sure a live animal. Man, this is crazy. And National Lampoons is so much like real life. One of my favorite quotes from the movie is when Cousin Eddie talks about the metal plate in his head. And he goes, oh, Clark, I can't use a microwave. When I turn one on, I piss myself and forget who I am for 30 seconds. That's an all-time quote. Cousin Eddie's a great actor, man. Also, National Lampoon's Vegas Vacation is a good movie in general, so watch it in the summertime. But Christmas Vacation, it's a top dog movie. You gotta love Home Alone, though, man. Watching Kevin McAllister on Home Alone, like, that's what every kid wanted to be. Like, as a kid, man, like, when he had the talk boy and was, like, disguising the voices, like, that was in Home Alone 2, I think. And, like, every kid's like, oh, man, I could, like, 
you know, call my teachers and get out of school, if I could like, you know, slow down my voice and make it sound like an adult, like that would be really cool, dude. And then he like sets up all these traps. He goes to the grocery store by himself, like, and then he's got all these cool toys in his room. And then he goes and buzz his room and there's a tarantula. Like that's a badass situation, dude. Like it's so legit. And every kid would want to be left at home for a little bit. And it's not a bad thing, you know, party up the house a little bit. Plus you get to watch a uh, What's that movie where it's like, keep the change of filthy animal? That's awesome, man. Watch whatever you want to watch when the parents are gone. The whole thing's great. Scrooged. Scrooge is one of my other top, top movies. Um, it's all-time Bill Murray. Uh, Scrooge is probably the Christmas movie I've watched the most in my life. And it's just a spectacular movie. You know, if it didn't win an Oscar, I guarantee it was nominated for one. Bill Murray's the man. And Scrooge is definitely a great great Christmas movie. And then outside of Scrooge, I've got Trading Places. Trading Places. Now, I've never, a a lot, I don't think of like Trading Places as a Christmas movie, but Eddie Murphy's amazing in it. Dan Aykroyd is phenomenal. Jamie Lee Curtis in it. The dollar bet that Billy Ray Valentine can do the job. Is that problem offices? Listen, dude, it's that was a bad Eddie Murphy voice, but I can't do it. He's just like, hey, is there a problem, offices? That might be a little closer to what Eddie Murphy sounds like. It is a great movie, man. Trading Places. And then this is the last one I'm going to name, dude. The One of the low-key, really good Christmas movies, Prancer. It's on. It was just on Amazon Prime. It might still be on Amazon Prime now. Sam Elliott's in it. As you know, Sam Elliott off Tombstone, Roadhouse. He's also in Prancer. Prancer is a low-key. It's a super cheesy movie, so you might not want to tell people you're watching it or you might not like want to watch it with your spouse because they might think you're a big weirdo. Prancer is a great, great movie. It's like from 80, 1986 or 88 or something, so it's pretty old. It's a little cheesy, but damn, it's a good movie. Greatest show on dirt. Let's get to the show. Okay, guys, baseball news. Here's what we're cooking up right now. It looks like the New York Mets are going to get Robinson Cano. That's weird because he's 36 years old. Robinson Cano, man, is 36. And I'm pretty sure he's not whiskey, so he's not getting better with age. He just failed a steroid test last year. Well, they popped him for a diuretic, which is something that uh, athletes take to mask a steroid. Personally, I have zero respect for Robinson Cano at this point right now. I don't care what he's done previously. The reason why I sit so strongly on having zero respect for Robinson Cano is at the beginning of the season last year, the Seattle Mariners were in a position to make the postseason, and they lost their 10-year, $240 million guy because he couldn't keep his shit together. And now what the New York Mets have done is they've traded a few young prospects to get Robinson Cano and Edwin Diaz. Now, Edwin Diaz is a stud closer. He won the American League Closer of the Year award last year, pitched uh, 70-plus innings, like 120-something strikeouts, really low, like maybe like a 1.5 ERA. The guy can throw 100. He's got nasty stuff. 
Right, but I still don't agree with the move, and I still don't like the move because Robinson Cano's in the deal. And if the Mets needed a closer, I mean, they could just go out and get a closer, right? Like, closers seem to be pretty volatile. You know what I mean? Like, a closer can have one good year, and then they suck the next. Like, Wade Davis wasn't overly impressive this year. Whatever happened to Mark Melanson? Like, we don't know. I mean, it's just like, whatever, dude. So, like, they gave away a bunch of prospects for a closer, I guess, who had one good year, is still super young. And, I mean, we, we just don't know. I mean, because you had one good year as a closer, you're not necessarily proven. And, I mean, they probably could have signed a free agent closer or made some moves and got the job done. But whatever. Like, I, I can only take Edwin Diaz for what he has, and he's a top-tier closer in the league, and that's fine. So you gave away a uh, a lot of uh, young prospects, two first-rounders, actually, um, a 2018 first-rounder and a 2016 first-rounder, right? That's what the New York Mets gave up in this deal. And my problem with that is this. You gave away young guys for a 36-year-old who just failed a drug test, who didn't really do anything impressive last season, and is probably only going to go downhill from here. I don't like the move for Robinson Cano in the clubhouse. And I just don't like it. I don't care who you think Robinson Cano is. I can only take it for what it is. And he was on a team that was set up to make the postseason last year, and he failed a piss test. Get your stuff together, man. It's super risky to give up a couple young guys. Do I think I'm going to be wrong on this? No. I don't think Robinson Cano is going to be a difference maker in New York. I don't think the Mets make the postseason. And I think when you look at these prospects a couple years from now, I think it's going to be said that the Seattle Mariners win this deal. So cheers to Jerry DePoto and the the New York Mets new GM, Brody Van Wingerden or whatever the hell his name is. He was um, Robinson Cano's agent when he signed that 10-year, $240 million contract with the Mariners. So that whole thing's a little weird. You know, no doubt he's got uh, a skewed view of Robinson Cano, but it seems to be a bit of a conflict of interest. Um, but, I mean, whatever, dude. You can do whatever you want, man. But I think I think the moves is stupid, you know. Um, there are positives, I guess, though. You know, it's um, Robinson Cano could play good next year. Um, what happened, you know, when it comes down to the numbers with what the Mets offloaded, um, Jay Bruce is gone. I don't remember who else. Oh, Anthony Swarzak. He's a was a reliever, like a seventh inning reliever, right? The two the Mets gave up him and Jay Bruce. Jay Bruce sucks. I think Jay Bruce is worthless. So when you give up Jay Bruce and Anthony Swarzak, the increased payroll from getting Robinson Cano and Edwin Diaz is sixty three million dollars. Well, sixty three million dollars for Robinson Cano and Edwin Diaz is a minimum wage guy. I mean, a minimum wage guy when it comes to Major League Baseball. So minimum wage in Major League Baseball is like $580,000. That's what Edwin Diaz makes because he's like 22 or 23. So if, if you, I guess if you're getting a top-tier closer, man, I guess the deal's really not that bad. I just don't like Robinson Cano. So I'm like, whatever, dude. You can take that deal if you want to. But I think there are other ways to make the bullpen better. But one of the key pieces they didn't have to get rid of and I, I bring this up because baseball's really awful at marketing their players in the game. They suck at it. So I'm going to kind of turn this into like a dude you don't know, but you should know. The Mets got a cat named Jeff McNeil. He played second base last year for the Mets, and they did not have to trade Jeff McNeil away, which was pretty important. Uh, he's 26 years old. He was a rookie last year. He might shake your head. 
and say, well, what the hell, dude, like a 26-year-old rookie, like it took him this long to get up. He just had a lucky season. You may think that, but he was also injured a ton. The dude has always hit for average at every level he's played at. He's hit well, and he's recently discovered some power, you know, because when you get to the major league, your hitting coaches are teaching a lot of uh, launch angle and stuff like that. You know, you really got to put the ball in the air because major league pitchers are so hard to hit. It's, it's never been harder to get a hit in a major league baseball game and hell to string a couple of them together is nearly impossible. That's why these guys got to hit home runs. And Jeff McNeil, you know, he uh, batted 329 last year, had a 381 on base percentage. So he, he's hitting for a good average. He doesn't strike out a lot. He doesn't hit a lot of grounders, so he can hit line drives and put the ball in the air. Jeff McNeil's a guy that can be really good, and he's a guy you've probably never heard of that you should pay attention to because he's a good hitter, Jeff McNeil is, and the Mets got to keep him. So this trade could go good. I, I, don't, I think Robinson Cano is going to play like crap next year, but you know there are some good things that might come out of this and the fact that they have a phenomenal closer. They're only paying Robinson Cano $63 million and not $120 million because – Wait, I shouldn't say that. They're paying. It was only a $63 million payroll increase to get Edwin Diaz and Robinson Cano. So if you look at those numbers, it's like, dude, I'll take it, right? We're cool with that. So that's kind of like what's happened with the Mets. Um, I love the move, though, man, by the Mets. Like, I love that the Mets are trying to compete, man. That's huge because so many Major League Baseball teams, like, don't want to compete. You know, they just want to sell off. And then that way, like, their payroll gets a lot lower, so then, like, your owners and your shareholders make a lot more money. I totally commend the New York Mets for competing, man, and making moves because they're in a division with, you know, where you have the Washington Nationals who have dominated that division for, what are we talking, the last six years, the Washington Nationals have either won the division or placed second in the division. You've got the upstart Atlanta Braves that look amazing that won the division last year. And then you've got the Philadelphia Phillies who are in the running for at least Manny or Bryce, if not both of them, which is a possibility because they have so much money to spend. So cheers to the New York Mets for doing the damn thing because they're trying to succeed and they're making moves. They're not crapping the bed and saying, let's sell everyone off. They're being aggressive and they're making moves. And whether my dumbass thinks Robinson Cano is a bad move or not, the fact of the matter is we've got competition in the NL East, dude, and I dig it, man. So for the Mets, man, that's amazing. The uh, Just check this out. There were – I'm going to talk about a couple free agents real quick, right? So there were some dudes that were non-tendered which means this Friday we just had, which I think was November 30th, um, you could non-tender dudes, just not offer them contracts, and they would become free agents. Um, two of those guys that were non-tender that I think could be pretty damn good for whoever your favorite baseball team is, uh, Hunter Strickland, he was relief pitcher closer for the San Francisco Giants. That's the guy that fought Bryce Harper <laughs> and uh, missed like, three months of this season because he punched the wall after a game, right? He's a hothead, but he's pretty angry on the mound. He's got good stuff and good mound presence. And he's a reliever that I think maybe a team wouldn't have to spend a ton of money on. And I, he's got good stuff. He puts up good numbers. He's got great mound presence. He's tough as nails on the mound, dude. I like Hunter Strickland for a free agent relief pitcher signing, man. I dig him. And also, the Chicago White Sox, they did not offer a contract to Matt Davidson. He's a, he's a slugger on the south side. He's hit 
the past two seasons, like 46 home runs. He's not really an everyday guy. Well, either he's not an everyday guy or he just hasn't played a full season because I'm wanting to say over the past two seasons, he's played maybe like 110 games each year. Um, 46 home runs total for those two seasons. This is a guy that he's got power and, you know, under the right environment with a good hitting coach, this is a guy to where, you know, Matt Davidson might bat about 230, but to get him under a good hitting coach with um, as an everyday player, Matt Davidson could easily be a guy that could bat 250 for you, give you 30-plus home runs, hell, maybe even 35. I wouldn't be surprised if a guy like Matt Davidson could be a miniature J.D. Martinez where you teach the guy how to keep his bat in the zone, teach him launch angle, and really dial in his swing. You've got a guy with raw power who just really needs to make more contact. So I like Matt Davidson as a non-tendered guy, dude. I really do. Um, And speaking of, this is another little news thing that I really dug. The Los Angeles Dodgers signed a new hitting coach. The hitting coach they signed is the guy that taught J.D. Martinez how to slug baseballs at an alarming rate, which is huge for the Los Angeles Dodgers, because when you talk about a L.A. Dodgers team that's made it to the last two World Series, to me, this is a huge move for them. And right now, when I see this signing of this new hitting coach, automatically, they're my favorites to go to the World Series from the National League for a third time in a row, because getting this amazing hitting coach, which we've seen his work in J.D. Martinez, which is just, he's a marvel of like modern hitting science, which is what he can do. He's such a dangerous hitter, hits for power, hits for average. J.D. Martinez is a great situational hitter, and it's this guy, this new hitting coach for the Dodgers that they've hired that's taught J.D. all this stuff. And if you look at what the L.A. Dodgers are working with, you've got some pretty powerful bats in that lineup that maybe had off years last year, you know? Like, we saw Max Muncy rise and maybe fall a little bit towards the end. We saw Cody Bellinger have a less stellar season than what he did the year before. The same with Cody Bellinger. You've got Jock Peterson, who in the 2015 season, when Chris Bryant was a rookie, so was Jock. And a lot of people going into that season were picking Jock Peterson to win the National League Rookie of the Year. Jock Peterson was highly regarded, and I like the idea of getting this amazing hitting coach in there because there are a lot of big bats in this Dodgers lineup that maybe haven't been fulfilled yet. So if you're a fan of the National League and your favorite team's not the Los Angeles Dodgers, buckle up because your team needs to have a good year because there's a new cannon in the missile launcher, you know what I'm saying? And it's this hitting coach. You know, I'd tell you his name, but I can't really pronounce it. I forgot what it is. But you can go to ESPN.com and just figure it out. But all you need to know is the Dodgers have the hitting coach that taught J.D. Martinez to hit missiles. So that's not really a good thing unless you're a Dodgers fan. So cheers to that. Um Oh, dude, check this out, though. I'm going to talk about uh, stolen bases, so we'll be right back in a second. Okay, okay, I'm back. I just took like an hour and a half break, ate a dozen sugar cookies with uh, little Christmas trees on the front, and watched National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. So I'm going to ride this sugar cookie high that I paired with a half gallon of whole milk, and we're going to finish this baseball talk. Okay, so before I went on my binge, my sugar bender... I talked about a couple dudes that were non-tendered that I liked. Now, there's a third non-tender dude that I don't know if I like or not, but I'm intrigued by what he brings to a baseball field, and that's Billy Hamilton. So the Cincinnati Reds did not 
give a contract to fan favorite Billy Hamilton. He didn't he didn't have a stellar season last year. He batted about 230, had an on-base percentage of like 290 and only stole 34 bases. Now Billy Hamilton is known for the stolen base and the fact that they didn't sign him like kind of caught me off guard, but when you look at the numbers, it's like okay, whatever. I wouldn't want Billy Hamilton on my team. He bats like 290, but he's really fast and he's a good defender, but Still, the stolen base was kind of on my mind, and the thing that came to my head was, is it time to bring the stolen base back? Now, <laughs> stolen bases are extremely exciting, right? And that, that's what I want That's what I want to talk about for the rest of this podcast is, is it time to bring the stolen base back? Is the stolen base maybe like 80s vintage style that's about to come back, you know what I'm saying? Or... Is it a pair of Jinko jeans that's not going to come back? We're about to find out, right? Stolen bases are exciting. When I think of stolen bases, I think of two guys, Vince Coleman and Ricky Henderson, and also Dave Roberts when he had the stolen base heard around the world in 2004 when the Red Sox broke their curse. Steals are exciting, and when you know that there's a game on the line and there's a guy on first base and there's like that dynamic of the pitcher's throwing over, is he going to steal, when's he going to take off? Like That's exciting to the game. And the reason why like, I talk about the steal is here's what I want to bring up, and I swiped this info out of uh, like a Sports Illustrated article, right? Okay, obviously, if you watch baseball, you know the strikeout rate is up. It's higher than it's ever been. So is the swing and miss rate. So is the contact rate. And at this moment... It is harder to get a hit in Major League Baseball than it's been since before the DH was brought into existence, which was 1973. So if you're listening to this podcast, no matter what, probably from the time you've been alive, 1973 on, it's never been harder to get a hit off a Major League pitcher. It's just not, right? And that's why I think we see players swinging for the fences and trying to hit home runs, not just because that's where the money's at, but that's where the scoring's at because you can't really play small ball because, right, because we know that it's harder to get a hit than ever. So you got to believe that it's nearly impossible to string together three or four single double, single, blah, blah, blah. It's harder to string together three or four like singles or doubles in a row to, to score runs. You can't do it because you're lucky to get one hit, let alone three or four hits in an inning, right? That's not going to happen. So that's why you see all these guys hitting home runs. And that's why you see, you know, the game dominated by these three outcomes of strikeout, walk, or home run. You know, that's what it is. And that, I think, is a lot of the reason why home runs are so important now, why the game's dominated by the three outcomes, and maybe why baseball is so much harder to follow unless you're just this hardcore fan. Now, you know, I was only born in 83, so I know the pitching mound, when the pitching mound was lowered, um, they did that because pitchers were so dominant. So that's why the mound was lower, right? There was um, I, this is crazy unevenness between pitchers and hitters where, you know, pitchers just couldn't get hit. So they changed the mound to level out the gameplay because inherently in baseball, the advantage always goes to the pitcher as opposed to the hitter because hitters, right? You're, you're good if you, 
fail seven out of ten times in baseball. You're a great hitter at that point, you know? They used to be a thing, like, if you die a 300 hitter, that's huge. So I, there's not really a whole lot of industries where you could fail 70% of the time. You know, Lord knows I try that at my day job, and you know, they get a little upset at me when I only hit deadlines 30% of the time. But, hey, whatever, you know, there's not really another sport where you could do something 30% of the time and be good. So there, inherently, baseball can be kind of boring, and now that we're, you know, inundated with walks, strikeouts, or home runs, you know, it can – it can kind of feel like, you know, paint drying, I guess. So when I talk about bringing the steel back, here's the question that I'm going to build this whole thing around. Should baseball possibly change the leadoff pickoff rules to make it easier to steal bases, right? Now, there aren't really like a lot of rules in, I mean, there's really no rules in place. Like a pitcher can't balk, you know what I'm saying? and whatever, the runner takes his lead, and he might steal and he might not. But in this day and age, it's pretty hard to steal a base. you got you got some big athletes playing baseball these days. There aren't really a whole lot of speed demons like Billy Hamilton out there. You know, they're just not because the game kind of has gotten away of that. And I just wonder when Major League Baseball is looking in the way, is looking into things, right, to make the game more exciting Doing something to baseball to promote the steal and make stolen bases easier could be really exciting. Um, I think each play would be bonkers because if you've got a runner on first base, something could happen, right? So I think of doing something to increase stolen bases in Major League Baseball could be like watching an NFL game. So each play... um, I think anytime you watch an NFL game and you're a true NFL fan, um, you know, it's got you because on every play, you know, a touchdown isn't scored, but something can happen, you know, a big run or a big reception, and there's like some action. And what if you were watching a baseball game and a guy got on first base, whether it's from a walk or a base hit or whatever, or maybe he was even on second, and there's a real serious threat most of the time for that guy to steal a base. That is action that I would love to see from batter to batter. And I think that would do a few things, right? Number one, it would make the games more exciting because there would be action in all of these dull moments to where you've got that guy on base and it's like, holy crap, now you've got this cat and mouse game with the pitcher and the person on base. And, you know, it's like, okay, are they going to go home? Are they going to go to the base? He's got to be quick to the mound. And if he's not, this guy's going to run. And before we know it, we've got a runner in scoring position. He's on second or he's on third. And then at that point, more runs could be scored. And then there would also have to be more um, kind of just, uh, you know, thought put into the game, more processes, just as it brings in this crazier dynamic of just strategy. Strategy is the word I'm looking for. There'd be different strategies that would have to be in the game. I think it would be so fun. And I also think that it could transfer some of that advantage from the pitcher to the hitter because there would be, like, I, because it's so hard to get a hit in Major League Baseball, I don't know if a lot of pitchers really fret walking a guy. Um, and I can tell you this for sure. When you look at the three outcomes that are dominating Major League Baseball, the walk, the strikeout, and the home run, if stolen bases 
were easier to happen, right? If if something changed in Major League Baseball where most runners could steal a base way more often than what they do now, pitchers would walk less guys. And if pitchers are walking less guys, then that's one of your three outcomes that might decrease. And also, if they're walking less guys, then they're throwing more sure strikes. They're throwing more competitive pitches. And at that point, you might see more hits that weren't just home runs because there would be more competitive pitches. You could possibly see um, more guys getting singles, doubles, and triples. Then you might see more of two, three, four hits in a row, and we just wouldn't have to rely on the home run and the walk to make these things happen. Doing something to the game to increase and encourage the stolen base could really just change the dynamic of the game and make it more exciting and add in this new part of the game and all of a sudden change the complete strategies of the game, the way the game is played, and not have to rely on these three true outcomes. I think it could be huge. Um, I I, I think it would be a blast for sure to watch. And then with all of that, with teams being able to string more hits together, you know, you could see more runs scored, which I think would be good for baseball. Then at that point, you might see more lead changes too. And if there are more lead changes in baseball, then, you know, a lot of times with baseball, you know, if you're at a game and it's the seventh inning and the home team's losing, fans leave the ballpark. And I know Major League Baseball is fairly concerned with the attendance decrease that they saw in 2018. And if you've got more competitive games, that's phenomenal for the fans at home because I'm not going to change the channel. I'm going to continue to be in the game because, you know, making it to where there were more stolen bases means that there's action in the game that that doesn't necessarily rely on runs being scored. But then at the ballpark... If the home team's down by three runs, that's not so much of a scary deficit. But, you know, sometimes in baseball, it can feel like runs are scored out of luck or chance. There's a lot of that in Major League Baseball. But, you know, if if there were more stolen bases in baseball, that luck or chance is kind of transferred to, like, you know, the sheer will and athletic ability of actually making this happen. I think it would be huge. And then that could totally increase attendance at baseball games fans would stay longer and they would be more into it and then if fans are more into the game the fans are louder during the game just like an NFL game and then that transfers to the fans watching at home and before you know it with just doing something to increase stolen base totals you've just you know added this crazy thing you've added this action to the game knowing that hey any play something could happen and it's not predicated on a team hitting a home run or walking to get on base or scoring a run but we've got stolen bases and strategy and you know pinch runners and things like that and if major league baseball teams maybe could expand their roster and add you know, a couple guys that were strictly for pinch runners and you could put in a pinch runner without necessarily losing a big bat in the lineup, like that would be huge. And I know that sounds far-fetched, but I think, you know, maybe expanding rosters to have two speed demons that are there just to pinch run and maybe they could pinch run for a guy like J.D. Martinez, who's not necessarily a speed demon, but he gets a double and you put this pinch runner on, but J.D. doesn't necessarily have to come into the game. You know, I feel baseball 
they're stupid because they want a fixed pace of play and they say a three-hour game is too long, so fans don't like that. But if the game was maybe two hours and 30 minutes, fans would love it and everyone would come back. Well, I have news for you. A two-and-a-half-hour baseball game is not a National Football League game. It's just not. It's the action that's the problem, not the pace of play. You know, it's like going to church when you're a little kid, right? You don't want to go, but your parents wake you up on Sunday and you're like, no, mom, I'm tired. I don't want to go. And they drag you out of bed and force you to go to church. And it doesn't matter if that service lasts an hour and a half or two hours and a half. You're not going to like that service no matter what. It's just not, you know, an hour long of boring church when you're a 10-year-old kid and you don't want to go or like 15, you know, because 15 is that weird age where like your parents still make you do stuff, but you think you're an adult. Uh, And that's crazy, right? Because you could shorten that church service to an hour and I'm not going to enjoy it, right? You can shorten my trip to the DMV from an hour to 30 minutes and I'm not, I'm still not going to like going to the DMV because I got out in 30 minutes as opposed to an hour and a baseball game is kind of like that, you know? I don't want to get my prostate checked, Right, if you could do it in ten minutes or forty minutes, like I hate it no matter what. So I'm just saying, Major League Baseball, like there are a million ways for me. There are a million analogies I could say that are completely stupid. But speeding up the game's not the thing. Create action, dude. Let's steal some more bases and let's figure out how we can steal more bases. I think it'd be great. Okay, so now that we've uh, talked about whole milk, sugar cookies, Christmas lights, Christmas movies, and stolen bases. Let's talk about Zach Granke. Now, there has been a lot of talk about if Granke and Paul Goldschmidt can be packaged up to a team. Now, we've gone to the back of Zach Granke's baseball card. Dude, he's a good pitcher. Uh, I can't think of really any occasion where I've seen him in a clutch moment. So, me personally, I don't want him on my team. I think he's just another U Darvish, Jose Quintana type where the back of his baseball card, you know, looks pretty good, but he can't really do anything for me in the clutch, you know. He's not Verlander. He's not Kurt Schilling. He's not Madison Bumgarner. Whatever. But an odd thing has happened. So Zach Granke has a no-trade clause that includes, I believe, 15 teams in his contract. So there are 15 teams that Zach Granke cannot be traded to. Zach Granke, who um, in 2015 was like 19-3 and with a buck 63 ERA, right? The guy's put up video game numbers before, and since he's been in Arizona, he's been He's been productive. You know, he's not the guy you want to put in the game, Game 7 in a World Series. He's not your ideal dude because he's not he's not clutch. He's got awful mound presence, and he deals with anxiety. Now, I deal with anxiety, too, and there are certain things that come along with that, right? So, for example, I'd be an awful, awful bad game pitcher, right? If you've heard me record this podcast – as soon as the recording light turns red, I freeze up and forget words, right? I'm not that good at it. I'm a severely anxious person. So just based on the type of person that Zach Granke is, right? he's not a big game pitcher and he's not worth the money he's paid, but whatever. Um, I'll tell you this right now. Zach Granke, 15-team, no trade list. Check out some of these teams that when Zach Granke signed his whatever, seven-year, $206 million deal or whatever the hell it was, these are some of the teams that Zach Granke said, oh, yeah, before you pay me like a quarter of a billion dollars, here are the teams that I would never, ever want you to trade me to. 
The Boston Red Sox don't want to go there. They've won four World Series titles in 15 years. I don't want to go there. The Los Angeles Dodgers, they've won the division like eight years in a row and been to the past two World Series, and that's a great team historically. Don't want to go there. The New York Yankees, they've won 27 World Series titles in like four and five years once. Don't want to go there. The Philadelphia Phillies, that's a big market team with a ton of money. Don't want to go there. St. Louis Cardinals, like 12 World Series titles. Don't want to go there. And San Francisco Giants, don't want to go there. Those are some, those are six of the 15 teams that Zach Greinke said he didn't want to go to. The Boston Red Sox, four World Series in 15 years. The Dodgers went to two World Series in the past two years. So that's six World Series. The Yankees won in 09. That's seven World Series. The Phillies have won at least one in the last what, 18 years, so that's four, five, six, seven, that's eight World Series. The Cardinals have probably won a couple, that's 10, and then the Giants, that's three. So that's 13 World Series titles in probably 16 years for those teams that Zach Greinke said he didn't want to be traded to. What? What? Like, what the heck, man? What? What is going on in Zach Greinke's head? Like, I thought to myself, I was like... So that's like 13 World Series titles or appearances in like approximately 16 years, but he doesn't want to go to any of those teams. But like the Miami Marlins, they're not on his no-trade clause. So Zach Granke won't go to any of those teams, but he would be okay with being traded to the Miami Marlins. What? Like, I don't get this. Like, am I missing something here? Like, did he like check the wrong box on his contract? Like, did he read it backwards? And maybe he thought those are the teams that he wanted to go to and then didn't want to go to the Miami Marlins. Like, I'm confused. Because you know when you're, like, you're filling out those forms, like tax documents, and it says, like, last name, first name, middle initial, and then, like, you always write it on the wrong line because you're supposed to write it, like, above it, but you write it below it. And then once you get to the address, you're like, shit, I wrote my name on the wrong line. Because that was that Granky did with his no-trade clause. Did he write his no-trade teams on the wrong line? Because this makes no sense to me. Like, what could possibly be going on here? Like, is that Granky, like, not a fan of winning? Does that Granky not like to play baseball in October? Is he not a fan of the World Series? Does he not enjoy maybe winning championships? Does he not like rings? He must be like a jewelry phobe or something as well. Like when he puts on the ring, maybe it like it affects his skin or something, you know? So he's not a big jewelry guy, I guess. Um, he must not like fame. I, you know, he, he doesn't want to be like remembered, I guess, as like a good baseball player. So he definitely doesn't want to be like in situations. He must not like to play with the best players in the world. Um, I guess guess he doesn't like violence there's a lot of crime in Missouri so he might not want to go to St. Louis I guess you know he must not like great Italian food because St. Louis has phenomenal Italian food but maybe he's not like a pizza guy or like a Philly cheesesteak guy because New York has great pizza but you know maybe he's not dealing with that maybe he hates bagels like I'm not too sure maybe he doesn't want to shave you know, like, so, like, he doesn't want to go to New York. Maybe he's not a fan of legal weed, so he doesn't want to go to all these teams out west. Like, I don't get it. Like, how could you not be like, I don't want to live in San Francisco? They win, and the Golden Gate Bridge, the Golden Gate Bridge is beautiful. You ever seen it? San Francisco's got great restaurants and great food, my man. That's where they shot Full House. It's a great city. 
I don't know what his problem is. Like, I've never been more confused by anything. Like, he might be a hermit. Like, maybe he just wants to be alone, like the Unabomber or Henry David Thoreau. Like, I don't know, man. But I know... Like he should be willing to go to any of those teams because those guys are dumb enough to pick him up. They wouldn't get crap to save their life for October, but the back of his baseball card looks good enough to where they'll sign him and give it a shot, right? But I've never been more confused by anything in my life, man. Like this is this is so confusing. It's like watching a horror movie and the killer's in the house and the girl screams and runs upstairs and doesn't run out the front door. That's what this is with these teams and Zach Granke. Boggles my mind. Uh, will Zach Granke get moved? I don't know if he does, but I hope it's not to my team. Greatest show under. Leave us a review. iTunes, Facebook, Google Play. We'll send you a bunch of free stickers. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. I'll send you stickers for Christmas. I'll send you the stickers for free. You don't even have to pay shipping, dude. So do your thing. Leave us a review. Thanks for listening to the episode. We're going to wrap this bad boy up. And peace out, guys. Yeah, buddy. Y'all have a good night. Have a good Monday. And uh, don't work too hard. So like I said, slack off, brother. Slack off the rest of your day. Y'all be good. Take care. Take care.